And welcome to another edition of The Stunt Show. My name is Mark Zomick, one of four hosts of this great radio program on the Nakam Siegel Network. And we have what I hope is an exciting show for you. But I, as I always say, it could either be Radio Gold or Crash and Burn. Today, our topic is happiness. Research confirms that human beings make consistently inaccurate prediction about what will make them happy. Because of errors our brain tend to make, we don't want things that would make us happy. And the things that we want, more money, a bigger house, a fancier car, won't make us happy. So what's going on? These are quotes from David Lieberman's book about happiness. So how many times have you found yourself, well hopefully not too many, going through life and you're not very happy or motivated? All of a sudden you hear some horrible news. Perhaps you're a parent, you're at home asleep in the middle of the night. Then at 3 o'clock in the morning, you get the most devastating phone call you can get. It's from a police officer who says, We're not certain, but we think your child may have been in an accident. Your heart stops. You have the rush of chemicals produced by the brain during the time like this. That actually makes you feel like this is surreal. All of a sudden, you can't think straight. You become nauseous. All, all that you wish for, all of your heart, you hope your child is okay half hour goes by and you find that it wasn't your kid and you're relieved. Now, but now, all the things that bothered you before that point seem to bother you less. Right? What's the key? At 2.59 in the morning, before you got the phone call, you were upset about your problems. You may have even set up worrying for a few hours about your bills or your relationships. But one minute later, all your problems vanished because you had perspective. You had something jolt you, jolt you out, just out of your box to say, problems, these aren't problems, this is what's important. He goes on to talk about the fact that perspective brings gratitude. In our perspective, it's our perspective that determines how we see and respond to the world. The clearer the perspective, the more reality we let in, the more objective and rational our attitudes, thoughts, and behaviors are. It's interesting, as I finish, and I'm about to introduce the three people who are joining me for the show, the word in Hebrew for gratitude is hoda'ah. The word in Hebrew for um, for admitting is modeh. It's the same stru- word structure, meaning that in order for me to be thankful of someone else, I need to admit that I can't do it all myself. It's an interesting way to look at it. So I've asked three people to join me for this program. We have Bernard, Christina, and Christine. Welcome to the uh, Nahum Signal Network. I have to Thank get close, um, close to the microphone. So why did I ask these people to join me? Well, these are people who I work with every day, who, by the way, because they have such a great boss, they have no reason to be unhappy, um, <laughs> but we'll put all those HR things on the side for the next few minutes. And um, and why did I ask these three people to join me? Because I always find that these people are smiling and always seem to be in a good mood. Now, one of the things I have oft-quoted, I don't know, but certainly off the air many, many times, is a, a great Dennis Prager quote I heard, where Dennis Prager says, We are obligated to be happy, and if we are not happy, we are obligated to fake it. Because it's the height of selfishness to walk around with a sourpuss on your face and just make bring everybody down. One of the things that's also interesting, Bernard had sent me a, an article this morning about one what one rotten apple in a group of people. For whatever reason, that person's a rotten apple can bring back, bring down the whole team. So let's just open with a couple um, 
quick questions to set the stage. So the question is, you know, I guess uh, as honestly as you're comfortable um, uh, answering the question, you all, to me, seem happy. Are you happy? I believe so. I'm happy, and I think happiness has changed for me over time. Being when I was young, simple things made me happy, I guess, or maybe more complicated, and they got simpler as I got older. But I think uh, those things have changed for me, right? As a kid, getting a new bike made me happy. As I get older, maybe going on a date with the girl I, I admired made me happy. Now, spending time with the family, everyone is healthy type of things make me happy. So I, I, over the course of time, I think that happiness has changed. Or what makes me happy, or I think makes me happy, has changed. Um, enjoy the people I work with. There I go why I'm happy at work. Um, being in the position I am here, I think it is my role and my duty to, uh, you know, not bring anything that may be from home life here that may be on my mind that is not, in that sense, uh, may make you a different mood than some people say, you know, shouldn't bring work home with you, shouldn't bring your home life to work with you. Mm-hmm. And my work life here is happy, so I'm usually happy at work, so uh, from that perspective. What do you think, Christine? I think that I'm genuinely happy. Um, I think that, you know, I have a lot to feel grateful and happy about. And I mean, to Bernard's point, you know, I think that as we've gotten older, as I've gotten older, certain things, you know, you appreciate more. You look at things differently, what's important to you, what's not important to you. And you know, ultimately, overall, um, affecting your happiness. So I think that that's a very valid point. What about you, Christine? I think Bernard and Christine have really summed it up well for me. The thoughts um, initially came to mind was um, by maturity and truth has helped me to maintain happiness. Uh, certainly, life circumstances happen, but based on how I look at it and taking a, a better perspective and being truthful to the situation helps me to maintain this. It's interesting you use the word truth. Um, I, I was, you know, reading some articles about this, and um, it, it's, it, it, I, I'm sure it can't be true or there can't be a correlation, but it seems to me that, so, well, um, let me say it this way, the smarter people think they are, the less happy I think they are. Right, if, whether they're smart or not or whatever, it just seems to me, because you talk about truth, it seems to me from the outside, conservatives or conservatives politically or whatever are happier than liberals because they're seeing a different perspective. I, again, not making this political in any way, but because I think it, truth is an interesting thing. Is, tr- is it truth that makes you happy or that you view that you see truth and you're content with the truth that makes you happy? Good question. I think it's telling myself the truth about the situation. If it's something that happened, I don't like it. Tell myself I don't like it and realize why I don't like it and know that it's something that I can either change because I have control over Mm -hmm. it or something I can change. And the perfect example you shared about the mother hearing the news and maybe an hour before that all she was concerned about is uh, her utility bills. But upon hearing this news about her loved one changes her perspective completely. And it's a matter of realizing what's more important, what she has control over and being able to work through that and finding her level of sanity 
mm-hmm. and peace in it, and then leading up to happiness. The happiness doesn't trigger, doesn't just happen right away. And the, I guess as a follow, as you say, it doesn't happen right away. And, and to sort of come back to one of the things Bernard had said before, is it, is it really things that make you happy, or it's the whole thing? I mean, we took, I don't know, I don't know if you were in New York yet, Christine, when they had this happiness woman come and speak to us. And she drew out, I mean, I have it in front of me, it's, I'm going to try to draw the word picture, an x-axis and a y-axis, and the the y-axis was long-term happiness, uh, long-term um, uh, bad versus good, uh, or gratification maybe, long-term gratification, and the <coughs> excuse me, and the um, oh, sorry, I'm messing it up. The y-axis was delayed gratification, and the x-axis was immediate gratification. And um, if you draw that now into four quadrants, the bottom left, which is you know, immediate gratification, you know, is sort of, and, and or any of the immediate gratification, you know, and, you know, nihilism is bad, or, you know, hedonism, sure, you have in the moment, you know, some sense of pleasure, but that never gives you a long-term pleasure. What the, the upper right-hand goal of, of bad versus good, short-term versus long-term, is sort of happiness. And is it the short-term things that make you happy, or is it, it's not spending time with your kids per se. Maybe it's having the time with your kids per se and being able to, I don't know, incorporate right, I that. I, get it. Uh, I think the thing is too is happiness may be different for every person. I think happiness, they say, is a state of mind. Uh, as Christine was saying, I think it's a decision you make too because there are plenty of people that I speak to that consistently seem to be not happy, and I and mm-hmm. I think that's a decision they make. I think when you have to be grateful, you know, everybody, as my wife always says, don't look in someone else's pocket. And, and therefore, people I are always constantly... What's in my pocket. <laughs> people are always comparing themselves to, you know, the Smiths or the Joneses or whoever it is, and, and they're saying, oh, only if I had this, I'd be happy. Only if I had that, I'd be happy. Be happy for what what you do have. Right. You know, if you've been blessed and you've got a place to sleep and you have food and clothes in your back, you're ahead of a lot of people in this world. And there's a lot of things to be happy about or thankful for, you know, and that could be a similar correlation there for thankfulness and, and happiness. But, um, you know, if you have your health and your family is healthy, there's a lot of things to be happy for. There's a lot of things to be thankful for, and I think there's a similar correlation there in that way. Um, for me, happiness is, you know, I'm happy. I get up in the morning, I get to work, I'm happy to have a job. There's a lot of people that, you know, are, are would ha- be loved to have a job, right? I'm thankful I have a good job. I work with great people. Uh, I go home, have a great family. You know, do we have our bad points? Yeah, everybody has the good and the bad points, but for the majority of it, I'm happy. And how do you keep that level up? I mean, it, it, you know, listeners don't know who you are, but cer- certainly those of us who have worked with you for a number of years, you were adversely affected by Hurricane Sandy. Is adversely affected a Yes, I've been <laughs> adversely affected by Hurricane Sandy. Uh, if you want to go back a few years further, I was adversely affected by uh, 9-11. But the fact of the matter is... Right, so how do you sort of keep... I mean, I don't think anybody at work would w- in this office would have any recollection of you during that time where you couldn't live in your house and then you were repairing and all, you know, that, you f- that, that they felt that you were sort of bringing that to work. Because um, I try to look at... 
both sides objectively. Was it a terrible thing? Yes. That I lose my house, 20 years of whatever we accumulated out on the curb for the garbage. Yes. After you kind of get through that initial shock, you turn around and you look back and you say, you know what? Everyone is okay. No one got hurt. The house didn't wash away. We could fix it. Will it take time and money? Yes. Do we have it all? No. But for, for the fact that all my children are all right, everyone on my block, none of my neighbors that I know personally were injured or hurt or, you know, worse off than I was. We, it's a time to band together and show, you know, what family and friendship really is about and, and to, you know, and, and, and helping someone, for me, makes you happy. If I'm able to help my neighbor or help a relative to, you know, and maybe it's a time of hardship, right. it gives you a certain degree of happiness and satisfaction. And you spent, Christine, spent the last few months with your son living a few uh, yes. a few hours away by plane. <laughs> so that couldn't have been easy. But again, you didn't sort of bring it in to work. And you, Correct. Uh, so how do you... Uh, it's maintaining, again, truth to myself that I know that this is temporary. So perspective. Mm -hmm. um, a person's natural disposition. And knowing that, okay, it's something that I can control because I know that by getting the things in place, I can have my son here in uh, just a short time. So having those things in mind kept me positive. Technology certainly helped out a lot. And just knowing that we, we do have a great relationship. I have a great relationship with my son, and I knew he was in good hands. All played a key role in keeping me happy. That's good. And what about you, Christina? You always seem to be very... I, I, I never look at you and not get a smile. Well, I think that, I mean... To I mean, it's a testament to your dentist, <laughs> to some, you know, or good genes. for yeah. a couple years really paid <laughs> off. Um, I think to your earlier point of, you know, nobody likes a sourpuss around the office and... I mean, and Christine has said a couple of times, control, control. What you have control over, really, I mean, it's how you respond to that. And, you know, either choosing to, you know, be happy and thankful for everything that you have and every person that's in your life, or just choosing to be unhappy and, like, you know, just essentially bringing everybody else down. But, I mean, you know, I feel like I have a lot to be very thankful for, so I think that just overall makes me happy. The question is, when you have less to be thankful for, how do you maintain? You know, my, my daughter has a has her email signature is I guess a quote, at least in her email, is a quote attributed to Leo Tolstoy, hmm. which is, "If you want to be happy, be." Hmm. Um, is it that easy sometimes, or? Uh, no, it's not. In fact, right now I may have reasons to feel a little down, but again, I have to go back and tell myself the truth of what the situation is and possible outcomes that can be that I may play a role in maintaining and um, it's not always I'm not always on the sunshine side of things right. but it's a choice I make uh, to come in and show myself happy and, and be happy. It's a choice I, I have to maintain because I work with a team of people. And, it's, it, and, and everybody and is affected by that, exactly. too. Right. And your so son, certainly. I give considerations to, the, to that, and I think it's also the natural disposition of myself to just, okay, be optimistic and um, 
again, I, I always go back to this, tell myself the truth. I think it has a lot to do with your belief system, not just on a spiritual level, but what you believe about the situation, what you're telling yourself about it. So. It's interesting because you had mentioned a few weeks ago that I think you think a lot of your happiness is, Bernard, based on your belief system. I, I do. And, and as you mentioned this class earlier today that uh, they provide here at work is, is a happiness course. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to get in on one of the first sessions of the happiness course. And uh, a, a lot of what the uh, instructor was talking about, um, I saw as, you know, certain things I learned as my as a young person and, uh, you know, that I learned from reading the Bible or how I was taught in, in my religious school and whatnot. And I saw, I saw a lot of correlations there in, in that sense. And, and I believe that happiness is something that, you know, granted is people just say, it's, you know, you get it by maybe doing something or you've, uh, you know, you go to a vacation and you're happy. But I think it has a lot to do with the state of mind, as, as Christine is saying, in reference to you assess a situation and you can logically come through and be happy for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, granted, not everybody's day is always great. Things happen that are reason to make you upset or angry. But then you have the you have the ability to change your mind. You can assess it, say, okay, yes, I can be angry about this. That's going to get me nowhere. Or I can, you know, change my mind and be happy or accept it and move forward and and progress to to, to resolve that. Situation. So, how do you convince people? I mean, I, I have to imagine that the. Um your average, I don't know, again, not political, your average al-Qaeda terrorist is less than happy. Right? You know, they just... Right? Because happy people don't blow themselves up. Right? So but so how do you convince sort of people to say, to, to be able to, to put that into perspective, to say, find happiness, or... I mean, it's hard to say to a lot of people I, in the I world today. I don't know today, so much to con- convince. I think it's you have to be able to provide them with the options of stepping back and looking at it from a standpoint of uh, uh, maybe a little analytical standpoint, right? X has happened to me, whatever the case may be. I can choose to be upset about it, right? The initial reaction is sometimes mm-hmm. it's just emotion. You can't stop. You're upset right. about something, right? But you can let that drone on for two three days or you can decide to say, all right, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to, you know, head this off. I'm going to make it better. And therefore, think in a positive happiness, you know, ha- happier way. Or you can let it just kind of affect you into this thing where you become dysfunctional or whatnot. And right. I think it's it's a, an assessment of the power of your mind, for lack of a better term. You have to be strong-willed. Figuring out what's important to that person that would attribute to their happiness. I mean, I don't think a person that would blow themselves up has the same like you know levels of importance of happiness as I do for example so you mean so you I think, think you're putting you, you, you think you're putting happiness on a higher pedestal than they are so therefore you're not blowing yourself up I think so but also I think that I mean you know like Bernard said every person different things make each pe- each person happy, you know, so figuring out what's important to that person that would contribute to their overall happiness. It's interesting. I would have not would have not, not have articulated this 25 minutes ago, but all these, uh, uh, many of these comments that you're making come back to the comment that you made, Bernard, about keeping up with the Joneses, meaning that what makes, again, the Al-Qaeda person unhappy is that 
not that he's doing something right or wrong, or that his lot in life is right or wrong, but you're doing something wrong, and your lot in life is different than his, and therefore he needs to do something to change that picture. And maybe the essence of happiness is just being, you know, look, the ethics of our, our fathers, a part of the Talmud, um, says he, who, who, who is happy? Somebody who's grateful for what they have. He's happy with for what he has. Not look, and maybe I don't know. Maybe that's the oversimplistic answer to the question of what makes you happy. Like you said, Christine, this is what I have. This is what I have control over. I'm good with that. Just because you know the joke is right. Money doesn't solve all your problems. It would happen to solve all the problems I have right now. But that's a whole. You know that doesn't necessarily make you. Uh, you know, make one necessarily happy. It's yeah. just. You look at a lot of these people. You look at the very rich people. You read about the news. Oh, all they're the time. miserable. They're, right. they're miserable. They're divorcing. They're fighting over money, money, money. Granted, it's nice to have money, it's, but it's not. The but they're fighting money. over money that we can't yet understand. Meaning that, you know, he only gave me a hundred million dollars on the well, and he gave my brother hundred fifteen million dollars on the well. We need to. No, you know, it's more money than you can ever spend in your life. Sure. What are we fighting over? But uh, that and, and none of it has made them happy, right? None and, of it has apparently, made them happy. right? Um, so the thing is, is uh, I'm sure you take a, a person, maybe a, um, and I don't know if this kind of flows with it, but a Steve Jobs guy had plenty of money. You, you think he would have been happy to give up all that money to live and, and be cured of his illness? Again, right. it's a, it's a perspective thing, right? So all that money. But if you read about Steve Jobs, I'm not sure, separate from the money, separate from the illness, separate from what he would give over, that he would ever be truly categorized as a generally happy person. Meaning that he was never, so we were just talking about it over the weekend, you know, so um, I guess Larry Ellison from Oracle and Steve Jobs sort of came up together. And um, they both bought their houses in Silicon Valley at the same time. And they both went shopping for the most exquisite furniture they could possibly buy. Larry Ellison bought what he bought. And Steve Jobs couldn't find the perfect furniture, so he sat on the floor of his house without any furniture. Because if it wasn't perfect, he didn't want it. Right? That, 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 you know, and, and, and in fact, his wife was, while he was sick at the end, when he really wasn't eating at all because of the illness, you know, if he, if he even in past, because he was always a very picky eater, if even in passing, he said, you know, I like strawberries or I'm in the mood for strawberries, then for the, as long as she could, everything would be about strawberries, you know, just because that's what he was able to focus on and get some good. But it, it, his attitude was it's either perfect or it isn't. You know, mm. th- that just seems that's to me the mark of a, not a happy person. Yeah, that's an extreme situation. Yeah. Because there's a, a, lot of gr- a lot of shades of, of gray. Right. And, uh, when it's know, good, good enough. Mm-hmm. We do that here all the time. When it's good, good you enough. You know, I'm happy sometimes. You know, I'm extremely happy on a date. I can go down to the beach and sit with my kids and, and just have a nice day. And it doesn't. Well, because you live near a really nice free beach. What are you going to do? But I'm saying, you know, other people may not be happy unless they flew had, you know, flown to the Caribbean and happy. That, right. you know, that has to be the the. The, the mark of happiness well, on a beach. Well, see, that's why I came back to it, because well, you were listing things before that make you happy, and I'm not sure that it's the things that make you happy. I mean, that the yeah. event, I mean, you can enjoy an event, you could be happy in an event. We talk about, certainly in, um, 
you know, religious Jews, when they celebrate a wedding, it's all about being happy for the bride and the groom. And that's, you know, any time for people who haven't really been at an Orthodox wedding especially, but, you know, any kind of traditional Jewish wedding, most of the dancing is not the way the rest of the world dances. It's just dancing to be happy for the bride and the groom. Um, it's a kind of level of happiness that you try to achieve. But are those things... Sure, that adds to your overall body of life, satisfaction, and happiness. But is that what causing us to be happy? I think happiness, like again, is a, is a conscious decision, but I think it can be helped along with the people you're with. I don't necessarily have to be at uh, you know Vegas or the Caribbean to be happy if I'm with certain people that I enjoy being with. Right. I could be in my house. I could be sitting in my backyard or maybe the local pub. I don't know, but. I'm, I, I'm sure I can find happiness within that as much as I can if, if the, you know, that group of people were elsewhere in the world in some exotic location. Right. I don't know that that's going to make us any more happy. I think it's the fact that we're together and enjoying the company and having a good time, something that we maybe could talk about down the road or creating those memories that, that make that, that happen. Right. Sometimes it's the reliving maybe that makes you happy or the body, you know, the body of all the things added up that make you happy. I'm not sure that you could ever point to an event of, um, you know, point to an event that, uh, I don't know, because so, for that, I mean, because well, then doesn't the anticipation never, like, if you what would really make me happy, my wife always says, she wants to go to an island. She's never been to, other than Long and Staten and Manhattan. Uh-huh. She really hasn't <laughs> been to any island. So she wants, she always wants, you know, I'm afraid that, so one day we'll go to an island and she'll get to the beach and What's next? Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, I'm always about what's next. I, and, and by the way, with I know for me it's a sickness. I mean, when I get somewhere and I'm going away for the weekend, what, I, I promise you, while I'm unpacking the car, I'm thinking, ah, when I pack the car again later, I'm going to have to put something back a different way. Like, I'm already planning. Before the bags are out of the car, I'm already thinking about how I'm back in the car to go. Well, has something along those lines maybe that will help? I don't know. This is I don't think it'll I'll be beyond help. There's no question well, about for, that. For that type of thing, I, my wife and I are totally opposite along those lines. I am a fly-by-the-seat. I'm happy to get in the car wherever I end up. I'm going to make the best of wherever I end up. And my wife is... If you don't have everything planned for the room, the time, right. the hotel, it's not going to be a good thing. Right. And so I packed, I backpacked several years ago around uh, Europe for 25 days. I had a plane ticket there and a plane ticket home. That's it. No reservations, no hotels, no anything. It's crazy. And I had one of the best times I think I've ever had in my life to, to any planned trip because I think in a planned trip there's so much expectation that you say, oh, I booked this and I read about this. And everyone's told me this is supposed to be fabulous, that when you get there and it isn't something that knocks you off your feet, you're, you're dissatisfied by that. Right. So we found, when we went to Israel in December, we, I think my wife and I found the happy medium where, you know, you book the hotel for five days in Jerusalem. I'm not going to make any plans beyond that, except these ten things we'd like to do in those five days. If we do them, we do them. If we don't, we don't. It's raining, we're going to do this or that or the other thing. So there's some sort of mixture perhaps of that. Although look, I've said it there, my neighbor I remember a few years ago before the holiday of Sukkot, we would eat outside in booths. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon the holiday starts at 7 o'clock at night. He's pleasant, decided whether to stay home or not. He's got no booth. He's got to figure out how to he's like going to Home Depot to buy wood. You know, three <laughs> hours beforehand. I mean like that's uh, doesn't that add stress yes. to the I don't know. Some people are wired differently. Yeah. 
right, that's, that's the question. That sounds like my brother. Yeah. My brother would be that person. And he's perfectly fine. Right, so sometimes those of us way. who are the planners envy. I, I, I enjoy planning the trip much more than I enjoy taking the trip. I mean, I don't need I have the plane, the whole... What are you going to say, guys? No, I was going to say that I think that my girlfriend and I are much like you and your wife in that she is 100% plan or start to finish, dinners, everything known to man, what we're going to do in the city, and I'm just pretty much along for the ride. Tell me when and where to be. Right. But I think that the non-planner really doesn't go into it with any expectations and enjoys it even more than the planner would because then the planner... Unless you feel you're, come on, come on, yeah, let's go, exactly. let's go. Or yeah. sitting there being like, oh, I knew I should have chose that place instead of this one. So I think that it's totally dependent on your, your mindset of it. I don't know. I find that as the, as the primary planner, that when you're not in the mood to plan, the whole place shuts down. My wife comes in yesterday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What are we eating for dinner? I go, whatever anybody wants, we'll do. You know, usually on Sunday night, we'll go out or order in. And um, she comes back. Okay, so what do you want for dinner? I said, I don't care. Everybody orders, I'll order. No, no, they're looking for you to make a decision. Like, you know what? If you're usually the leader in that type and yeah. you're not, you you step out of that role for a little bit, everyone kind of flounders. Right. Yeah. I do see that at my house as well because my wife says to me, she's the person who's making the plans, obviously, and so she says, well, what do you guys want to do? I'm like, whatever you want, I'm happy right. with it. She's like, no, no, I want you to make the decision. <laughs> right. you know, so it kind of does throw us off the game when that's not the normal flow of the, how things normally uh, work uh, around the house. But but the minute you make a decision, everybody wants to critique the decision. Of course. Well, that yeah. was I mean, I think I find that here a lot. We have trouble in a lot of the clients that we deal with giving them a blank piece of paper. Clients just can't deal whatever you... Uh, uh, you decide. We'll, t- we'll take care of it either way. Until you put something on a piece of paper, then they can start now. I don't know. I it's think the abstract. I think that comes from the fact that most people like to criticize or destruct something versus build something up, right? It's, you'll see the news or you see anything. It's much easier to attack something after something's there than for you to lay the groundwater and ex- expose yourself and open yourself up right. to possible criticism. It's much easier to attack someone else's work that's already taken the initiative to do it and say, this is not good, why? But if you ask them to be the original blank slate and put it down, most people would shy away from that because now they have to open up. Okay, we're going to pause and play, um, I don't know, the only song that seems appropriate to play in the middle of the show. The um, This is song is, for those of you who haven't heard from, Despicable Me 2. I don't know, I think I even saw Despicable Me 1. Um, this is called uh, Happy here on the Nahum Single Network.
Now, Christine, we're back. This is Mark Zomer with Bernard, Christina, and Christine talking about happiness. It's a, just such a great song um, that always makes me happy when I listen to it. And part, you know, my um, I'm sure we did it on the air. <clears throat> Excuse me, my daughter Leora and I um, talk about songs that make us happy. And I think, um, I mean, that's definitely not a long-term contentment thing, but that's definitely a mood thing that I find that if I have had a particularly difficult day at work, uh, if I put certain music on in the car on the way home, that could change the way I walk in the door. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, this song definitely uh, makes me happy. In fact, I listened to it uh, this morning and felt like I just wanted to form a conga line down the hallway, <laughs> but I was just concerned. HR frowns <laughs> on the exactly. conga line, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I was just a bit concerned, and so I, you know, reserved and just kept the dance to my desk and enjoyed the moment. Absolutely. Music can definitely turn things around. I feel bad for people who are, um, who, who can't enjoy music. I think, too, sometimes, uh, especially if you have that mix, care uh, of dating myself, that mixtape right. or CD in your car, <laughs> whatever, but it's it's usually those songs that you have on that tape or CD or DVD, whatever it is that you have in your car at this point. Other times, that song was probably something associated with a happy time in your life. Yeah, you see, I don't find, I find, like I find that, it's no? just a song. Just a song. I, I mean, that, that happy song, you don't have to hear it. You know, on a good day or a bad day, that happy day is gonna, song is going to make you smile every time you hear it. Yeah, that is that's a great song. I mean, I sometimes I, I maybe th- this might be a little different. You know, I'm listening to sometimes the radio, and I'll hear one of those old songs that I remember right, playing sure. in the in the house Absolutely. as a kid. Yeah. Kind of gives right. this whole flush uh, of memories or things yeah. back that kind of puts you in a good mood. It's interesting um, the songs that it can bring back memories so quickly, no matter how many years ago it was that this occurred. 
Yeah. Right. It's uh, and I also have. Uh, I'm not. I'm musical in a in a non-technical way. I never had the. I, I could never sit and take lessons. So my father, my uncle, they're all professional piano players. But I, uh, my uncle's a professional musician, and um, we always listen to music in the house. I, I could, if I hear a song, I mean, I, I used to. My sister, my youngest, one of my younger sisters, commented to me, we were in the car on a long trip, and so I sort of sing the song under my breath, like unconsciously, and she said. Every single song that came on, you knew the whole. Had, like, doesn't matter what the song was. How did you know? Uh, I meet people now, especially uh, in, in you know um, in my work on the Nahum Siegel Network. I meet artists who I listened to as a kid, and um, you know it was just like you say those strong memories of sitting literally on the floor next to the speakers, right? Because we didn't have headphones back in the day, you know. Um, <laughs> sitting on the floor next to the speakers in the house, listening to the LPs. Um, that music, sure, it brings a, a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. Sure. But I'm not sure that that's the music I'm listening to on the way home when I'm in a bad mood. No. Well, I find that happens, too. The biggest thing with me with music is, is when I'm in the car, if it's really... Good music, and I like it. I find that I'm exceeding the speed limit pretty quickly. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> you know, absolutely. So, uh, some kind of association there. The volume goes up. Yeah. Yeah. Windows dancing a little, a little bit, bit right. more. Yeah. Car starts to shake a little yeah. bit. And you do step a little harder on the gas because I think it just does something to you. Go to the cruise control. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me miss driving. Uh, well, you live in the city, so you don't have to drive. Yeah. yeah well. Um, I, I don't live in the city. I don't miss driving, even though I do it every day. <laughs> I worked for a guy once who said his favorite car had four wheels and a driver. That's only one. <laughs> Beyond that, he didn't care what kind of car he wanted. I agree. I agree at this point. It's not pleasurable to drive around here anymore. And I think, Erica, another reason why some people aren't as happy. It's very tough oh, driving I around the city. I saw a guy this morning. Oh, my God. He cut me off, and then he cut... Like, he was just... He was trying to, there was a red light 50 feet away, but he had to squeeze around the car. It was like, you could see just people are miserable in life. I mean, it's, because I think that even if you're late for work or late for a job and there's a lot of pressure, you're not yet banging your head on the steering wheel literally because you're so frustrated um, unless you're just not a happy person. Yeah, I think people have a combination. You know, they may be frustrated or unhappy. They get in the car not ever pleasurable to drive in Manhattan or <laughs> on your way into Manhattan during rush hour, so therefore um, some people aren't listening to the same tunes you and I are right. listening to and, and therefore are going get the music off, uh, my head, yeah. you know, with a little more road rage. And again, that's a mindset thing, right? Don't have to be that way. It's more of controlling your mind. So here's a question based on one of the things you had said before, Christine. Does dancing make you happy or does happiness make you dance? I think happiness makes me want to dance. I want to get up and dance, but while dancing, I'm even more happy. So I think it goes hand in hand. But the leader would definitely be, you know what? I want to dance. And that's it's the emotion that moves you to dance, not the dancing that moves the emotion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, how, um, that is a very philosophical question, but can there be happiness without sadness? Um, I think there can be. Happiness without sadness, and I'm saying that and thinking carefully about. I mean, it. They, they, you really can't have joy without sorrow. I'm not sure happiness and sadness 
have the same... I don't know. What do you think, Christina? Um, I don't think that you can. I think that you need that that sadness, whatever level it may be, to kind of give you the right perspective of, of looking at it and giving you that happiness in that moment of, you know, not feeling sad anymore or knowing what's on the other side, you know. Right, so maybe knowing. I think every yin needs a yang, right? Because right. of the fact that if it's, there's only happiness and no sadness, at that point then is it happiness or is it just status quo? Right. Yeah, and maybe a better word would be contentment. I don't know, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. to I mean, you always, happiness is obviously the positive, and there has to be a, whatever that negative is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe I can be happy, but somebody else has to be sad. Otherwise, you know, I don't know if it has to be me or but maybe perspective is the right thing. We know how we feel at the times where we are sad, and therefore we can control to try to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is avoidance an acceptable... I had a high school English teacher who asked the question, as only high school English teachers can, um, make whatever wish you want. I will grant you the wish in a way that you would prefer it not be granted. So one of the people had um, had commented, oh, I want to be happy all the time. So he, he said, um, okay, I will ma- I'll give you Down syndrome. Right? Because we view, and, you know, I don't know... This to be true, I can ask my kids who spend a lot of time with uh, children with special needs. Um, They, people with Down syndrome, certainly feel seemingly more joy and less. They're less frustrated. I don't know. Maybe again, it comes back to people with a higher intellectual capacity seem to me perhaps to be less happy. I don't know, but you know, it is. Are smart people happier? No. No, I don't believe that. Or are smart, let's put it the other way, are really smart people specifically less happy? Or more miserable, you might say? Mm-hmm. To a certain degree, um, it may be possible, simply because, uh, let's take uh, Steve Jobs, for example. I think that people who tend to have the personality of wanting things perfect, they really smart and so they have a certain knowledge have a level of expectation sometimes that they can't even reach and Mm -hmm. so it it creates some misery and sadness and less happiness and not being as content with just status quo correct but Steve Jobs you balance up against um, Bill Gates who does seem to be a reasonably content person he's generally happy I mean um, between you see with his his his, uh, his charities right. and his in his ability to um, say that he's not giving all his money to his children. Right, he Warren Buffett the same way. He wants to make sure that they have this certain level of what it takes to earn a dollar. Um, I just read something today where Microsoft, again, is giving away a billion dollars uh, for, and I just caught it quickly in the elevator so I didn't get all of it, but again, another generosity type of you thing. You need a back button on that elevator thing, yeah. by the way. <laughs> so I, I think I think that's I think yes. I think maybe if you want to go for yin and yang and happiness and not maybe that's the Steve Jobs Bill Gates right. type of thing from that perspective from if I'm looking at my my opinion. So let me correct what I just said it, to make it clear that it's not um, that not all smart people are unhappy. I think again it goes back to being the individual 
take a steep job. Right, but, but isn't average, but is it above average? Meaning that if you had to put, and, and you know, I'm sure there are many scientific studies, if you had to put um, happiness on a continuum, would there be a correlation between happiness, a reverse correlation between happiness and IQ? I think so. Because, again, there's that... I guess I'm not as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> but how far up the um, right. level are you, you know? Because you're always, uh, for those people who are way up there, um, they're always looking at things, I think, from a perfectionist standpoint, and we know that's just not in our realm to attain anyway. So they're always trying to go after something that's not achievable. So maybe it still comes back to perspective, meaning that I think that uh, that those people maybe are unhappier seeing too many of the details getting upset and not, and, and they're getting hung up on the perfection. It's all about the little details, and that carries through. And that's what they tend to focus on, the details. Right. Right. So um, they're more critical, more analytical. Yeah. Therefore... Too much into the, the 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 guise of what is happiness than the decision of just being happy right. or taking it. Right. To add to that, I'm going to give you a little bit about myself. Uh, not that I'm a Steve Jobs of that level, but I tend to be that person I can. I get a little nitpicky about the details and want things to be perfect and want things to be right. So you don't necessarily have to be. Um, on that smart level, I think I'm smart, um, but you know, Steve Jobs certainly has a few notches over me or right. that. Um, but I think it's just something that runs across the gamut with different people. But I tend to come back and be able to manage that because I know I have the power to choose and, and look at things from a different perspective. Well, we should always strive for perfection, but uh, certainly here at work, what you do at home, I don't care. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we should always, but right, knowing when to come back and say, you know, to manage it, but it, it could be that it's, it, it all comes back to that sense of perspective. So if you're the kind of a smart person who can see the big picture, and I don't know, I mean, then again, sometimes I think the intellectual perfectionists look down upon the oh, the unhappy intellectual perspective perfectionists perhaps look down upon those people who could be equally smart but maybe be more more visionary or not care so much about the details or, you know, I, I have to believe that the 44 men who have been president of the United States are not idiots, right? Whether I agree with them politically or disagree with them politically or think they made bad or, I mean, look, Benjamin Harrison went out in the snow when he got pneumonia and died a month later, so maybe we can exclude him from the situation. But, you know, but but even you know on all, on the the ends of the spectrum, and certainly I think in all these things, again, not to get too political, but Barack Obama and George W. Bush were on the opposite ends, I think, of this spectrum. Where the, I have to believe that they're both very smart people. We got elected president after all. Um, you know, the Manchurian Candidate was a movie; it's not real life. Um, I do think that George W. Bush was skewered for not being in the details enough, but perhaps was a smart person with a big picture, always seemed content, and Barack Obama perhaps is less content because he is always trying to be a perfectionist with the details, and therefore, I don't know, therefore maybe, I mean, he comes off to me less happy than George W. Bush did. 
And on the other hand, George W. Bush came up, came um, across more happy than his father. Yes, I agree with that. For the same kind of, you know, again, he is the guy who ran the CIA. I mean, he was a, you know, in this kind of uh, nitty gritty government, he was certainly qualified. But it was just a. And Ronald Reagan seemed to be, you know, very happy. Kennedy seemed to be very happy, and you know, even though he may have fallen into one of the hedonist categories, but that's a whole separate show. Um, it's uh, it's just interesting, maybe, to look at people to see who is happy, and maybe it is a sense of being able to step back, a sense of perspective, and to come back to I think, which is a huge key, is being happy with what you have, mm-hmm. and not necessarily caring that. Or, or, or focusing on, look, why do they say people, you know, you see these people who were born with terrible maladies, you know, uh, missing limbs or whatever it is. They don't know life any better. How to, you know, how can they, they don't know what they've lost to be unhappy about what they've lost. I agree with that. I have uh, some friends who have some children who have some issues and they're very happy children. They don't know that. They have issues, there any right? difference than anyone else as far as they're concerned? It's great, right? And um, you know, they're great kids. It's it's and you know, I think one of the my friends who has a, a you know child with some autism, I think it was more of an effect, and it took a long time for him and his wife to accept right. it. More, you know, the child was yeah, no, child right, was sure, was, everything was great, and I think it was more of the parents accepting it and getting onto uh, a place and. And in their minds where they could be happy again. You know, I don't know if they felt guilt or they felt fault or responsibility that something they did was the out, you know, that was cause of this when it's just, you know, maybe nature taking its course. Uh, and I think there was a long pe- time there before they were uh, uh, comfortable enough with themselves to allow themselves to be happy, for lack of a better term to put mm-hmm. it. Well, that's also, I mean, it's an interesting, as we start to wrap up, allowing yourself to be happy is an interesting way to put it because, look, we all know people who um, lost parents at a very young age and some of them managed to be happy and some of them managed to use that for a very long time as a reason not to be happy and the question is do you allow yourself to then to be happy? Like, Why should we feel guilty about being happy? I mean, if we're stepping on somebody's head and we're feeling good about that, that should make us feel guilty. I grant you that. Mm. But, you know, should we... I think in order to be happy or if you're truly being happy and it's a decision you make, it's obviously with no malice against someone else or or, or, or to the advantage of, you know, you've done something to someone else that now makes you happy. That, that To me, that's not happiness. Right. That's, you know, e- that's evil or ego or, or some type of malice. Well, I also, want, I come back to one of David Lieberman's books where he talks about ego is the opposite of um, self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Right? Self-esteem is, I know that I'm good, and I don't need you to tell me I'm good all the time. And ego is the need, uh, like, I don't believe I'm good, therefore I need everybody to tell me that I'm good. Um, Right. And again, I come back to, to, to George W. Bush. He ne- I don't remember him ever sort of... Dis- like, people picked on him relentlessly, right? And that's one of the reasons why he got the boob, you know, sort of reputation. Because he let people, you know... And, and in his mind, his answer was, I'm the President of the United States. I don't care what you think about me. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you got to have a little thick skin to be the President of the United States, I'm sure. But, you know, 
you know, you think about that of I I, I found that it, my my self-esteem at a party changed after I got married because until that point when you're a teenager, you're dating, you talked about before, you know um, what your level of happiness you sort of feel like you need to keep up at a party, if you're not talking to somebody then you're the loser in the corner right, so the minute I put on a wedding ring, right I, I might be a loser in the corner now, but somebody deemed me appropriate back home to say you know, right, now you don't have to put that out I don't get to put that out anymore I'm, right, I'm good, off the market. we're good yeah, I'm not going to mark my territory anymore um the, the, the one of the things that I wanted to close with, I mentioned it before, um, there's an expression, um, it's a Talmudic expression, but from what I understand, it has crossed over into other religions, because I had a boss who quoted it to me once in the name of, I think, some Lutheran minister from the 1500s or whatever it was. Um, in Hebrew, the expression is, Mitoch Shalolishma Balishma, and in English it translates to, even if you don't mean it, do it, and eventually you'll mean it. Like, it's okay to go through the motions, because eventually you'll be doing it for the right reason. It's probably a more eloquent way to say it, but, you know, it's a very elegant, you know, saying in, in Hebrew, the way it's worded. I'm sure there's a more elegant wording for it in English, but it's, it, you know, people, uh, uh, you hear from a lot of people who are unhappy that they think that faking happiness is dishonest, and therefore it shouldn't be done. And I think the message is is that faking happy might be dishonest, but you should do it anyway. Or who are you being honest to? Or it's a different kind of question. I don't think it's faking it, but striving to get to that place and letting go of the situation that's driving. Yeah, but when, when, when people say put a happy face on it, right, or just smile, you know, whatever, you, they're, they're, you're being asked to keep your emotion, keep your sadness to yourself, and project a sunnier disp- disposition. I, I think that's trying to portray the positive attitude. I had an uncle who was very sick, and, and no matter how sick he was, no matter when you asked him how he was, he would never say anything less than terrific. I, terrific, he goes, if, if I was anybody right. than this, I'd, I'd need surgery. Right. He'd always tell you that he was the best that you could ever be. And meanwhile, you could look at him and say he was physically in pain, and he wasn't the best, but he would never say he wasn't, because in his mind, he was always going to portray that he was the best, he was going to put the positive spin or the positive foot or best foot forward, however you want to do it. Right. Charlie Harari, who's another host on this uh, network, says his closing line is, life isn't meant to be good, life isn't meant to be great, life is meant to be awesome. And sometimes maybe if that's your attitude, that uh, I don't know. Closing comments. Actually, awesome is one of my favorite words. I tend to when someone asks, hey, how are you doing? Awesome. Right. That's not what they expect, by the way. No. Right. I, I, I find sometimes people ask me how I am, and I whatever I answer them, they'll say, fine, me too, even though that wasn't what I... <laughs> <laughs> I they're totally not even <laughs> hearing what I say. What do you think, Christina? Um, I think it's totally about perspective of what's what's important to you and I think you have to kind of know what that is, what's important to you in your life that that makes you happy to be able to, to achieve that. Bernard? Yeah, I agree with I agree with Christina and Christine and I think just a last piece to add to that is you can't let anyone's um, 
words or anyone's actions to you alter the way you should think you should feel. If you feel that you should be happy for a certain reason or whatnot, you can't let someone else interject into that. Uh, right. That's amazing. Again, I come back to, I'm a, you know, as you're a big fan of David Lieberman, and David Lieberman says, um, he, he goes into this whole thing where, can I give you an upset stomach? Right? I can't physically give you an upset stomach. I can't physically hurt your feelings either. you got to let me. Um, so, you know, it's, again, it comes back to interest from perspective. Wow, this has been very cool for me. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed yes, thank it. thank you for having me. This you. is uh, non-experts talking about, or four <laughs> non-experts who are generally happy people talking about what it means to be happy, what it means to us to be happy. Then we'll close that with a song, like I said before, the, um, the words for gratitude and um, admitting, basically, uh, in Hebrew are the same. And so we will um, end with a song called Toda or Thank You. This is Mark Zomik. This is The Stunt Show here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you. 